Now more than ever, it's so important that we foster and develop emotional intelligence. But did you know that needs are closely linked to emotions? And that when we know our needs and the more we fulfill them, the calmer and happier we are? Hashtag 52 Needs is a podcast that provides insights into how we can all make this happen. My name is Angela Heiser. I'm a professional coach and facilitator. And each week a guest joins me to discuss a different human need and how we can all improve and foster our emotional intelligence. Welcome to another episode of Hashtag 52 Needs. And this week we are talking about belonging. And I'm very privileged to have with me Dr. Ian Butterworth, who is the founder of Ian Butterworth and Associates, a specialist healthy cities and livability consultancy. He is trained in community psychology and provides an interface between policymakers, researchers, and citizens. Ian has 30 years' experience in bringing together community and organizational um, development government policy and planning, workforce training and developing and development and applied research. That's a lot. Throughout his career, Ian has worked in state government, local government, universities, NGO and private practice. Ian was a Fulbright Scholar in 2003 and 2017 and has expertise in the WHO Healthy Cities Program and the UN Global Compact Cities Program. And on a personal note, he loves gardening, music and making boiled bagels, which I still have to taste. <laughs> So welcome, Ian. Thank you very much. Um, so let's talk about um, belonging in life. So in everyday life now, so you are an expert in cities. Has our sense of belonging changed since we've moved from small communities to really, really big cities? Uh, I would have to say yes. Um especially probably with the advent of the motor car and the ability to sprawl and move far away from the places of work and separating our work lives from our homes. Um, I think that's been a huge impact and the loss of the small village feeling that our species has grown up around. Mm. Um, in times previous to the current sort of industrial era, um, we lived and worked very close to, to each other and um, all of the things we needed to get were by and large within a walking distance of where we happened to be dwelling. Yeah. Um, so I think there's been a huge separation during the 20th century and probably even that began with the Industrial Revolution and their discovery, you know, the creation of rail transportation, mm -hmm. suddenly it was possible to um, separate different aspects of our lives from each other. The whole notion of commuting took over. But I think during the 20th century, that just became ingrained in how we plan cities. Um, and so the idea of Don Draper getting on the train, you know, you know, in Long Island and heading into Manhattan for work and leaving his wife behind. It's a very gendered uh, thing as well. I think during the 20th century, it was very much around men going off to the city and leaving their female partners behind to raise the children and fill in their days. Um, you know, there's a lot of dislocation built into that. Um, yeah. And I think what's happened during COVID is we've had a chance to reset that and think about it. Mm. Yeah. And 
Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. As you, as you said, you know, like women live one part of their life or used to and men live one part of life. And when I talk to, and it's still to, to some degree like that. And sometimes when I talk to my clients and I specifically the men and I say to them, so what are you doing on the weekend? And they say, I don't know. I have to ask my social director. So they don't know what's going on in their own life. They get their whole sense of belonging through their partners. And <laughs> I've often had the situation that there was a marriage that would break, break apart. And with that, all the social connections for the men would disappear. And they discovered that all the connections that they had were actually initiated through their wife. So that the only connections they had were often the loose relationships they had with other men through the good old night net, good old voice network, you know, like work-related stuff. But they weren't really the, the sense of friendship and belonging because they never had that neighborhood sense either. You know, as you said, they would come from all sorts of places and get together. I think one reason why Starbucks was so successful in the United States was that Starbucks's business model was predicated on creating what's called a third place. Um, the, the first place is the home, the second place is work, and the third place is where people go to meet each other and yeah. even have incidental social interactions. It's, it's like the village square, right, where people would get together and have their coffee and, yeah. And one thing I'm very proud of about Australia is the reason Starbucks didn't do very well here was we already had those. We had a thriving coffee scene. We had a whole proliferation of, of organically grown local cafes. And that model has actually taken off in the US now. Um, so we didn't need it. And uh, our, our bullshit detectors were very finely attuned to walking into a place that was a corporate entity and seeing sort of signs of community being created but knowing that it was done to make money rather than to actually create a place to belong mm -hmm. um and i think one of the things that shocked me when i first went to berkeley in 2003 was seeing people sitting in cafes with their headphones on just like i am now yeah. um but it wasn't to i mean it was because they were taking their office environment to these places but actually screening everybody out mm. um and, of course, that, that's taken off everywhere now. Um, but I think, you know, uh, the third place is very, very important and it's a place to belong. It's a place to create community. It's a place to see different types of people and to be reminded that there's diversity in the community uh, and they're very important anchors for community living, especially yeah. as an antidote to the placelessness that accompanies so much urban development these days. Yeah. And I know you're really involved in making sure that we, we hope that we keep creating these places where people can meet. And it's been really difficult with the pandemic because we've just not, not had that opportunity with lockdowns. So there's a lot of loneliness and a lot of people don't have a sense of belonging anymore, especially when they don't have neighbors. I mean, I know that I've lived in really big cities. I've lived in, in New York. I lived in Hong Kong. I lived in, you know, there, uh, there were all these big cities and I never even knew my neighbors. Mm. You know, so if anything were to happen, they would not have had a clue who I was. And so when I moved to my place where I'm now and I bought a you know a mortgage for the first time in my life, I made sure that I met all my neighbors. I invited them all and we've we've got a community and it's not one where we live in each other's pockets, but we have a sense of belonging that is really and I do, because I lived out of a suitcase for four years. I wanted to see what it was like not to have that sense of belonging and move around. And I had to discover that um, human beings are wired for that. 
And I was definitely one of those. (laughs) Knowing you the way that I do now, I think I wonder whether that community would have existed in your neighbourhood without you being there. Well, it it did, but it didn't. So um, I think when you you add a new factor in, if you have somebody who's really interested and then, you know, people start looking at each other differently. But there was Mm. people have been living here for a very long time. And that was the good thing. They were very welcoming. And that, again, that creates that sense of belonging because there is a lot of sense of what people now these days, I think, don't have that sense because we don't connect like that anymore. There's such a fear around opening yourself up. I mean, we share we share on social media what we have for lunch, but we tell don't tell our neighbors our names. I find that really interesting. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Um, I spent the weekend here. I'm living in a country town outside of Melbourne uh, and it's very interesting in the last six months or so, I've started to live my research in a very personal way. Um, COVID has resulted in this complete real estate boom across regional Australia. I'm sure you're aware of it in Queensland as well. Uh, And, I mean, a house two doors down from us, just sold for $905,000. And it was that was $60,000 above what they were asking. I mean, it's just insane. Mm-hmm. And with that is coming an, a, a whole new group of people moving in with very expensive cars. I mean, I've lived here for 11 years, and one of the things I loved about being here was the sense of saying hello to people on the street. And yeah. the first time I'm noticing that that's, that's maybe not going to happen so much anymore mm-hmm. um, and there's this insane mania for renovation so the notion of having a quiet sanctuary is now being drowned out by a uh, weekend of chainsawing and wood chipping and I mean and, and admittedly I contribute to that from time to time but uh, this bloke across the road on Saturday he was shoving fence posts into this giant chipper that went from 10 a.m. through to 5. Um, and I went to see him and I said, is this going to take very long? And he said, look, it's just one day. And I wished later on, I said, look, this is the day that I plan my meditation retreat. Um, <laughs> you know, at what, at what point do, do, do our new neighbor, do our neighbours say, look, I'm going to be creating some noise. I'll just check in with the, the immediate residents to let them know. But people um, don't do that anymore. Because again, when there's a sense of com- com- uh, belonging, there's also a sense of not obligation, but there's a courtesy and a consideration that you don't need to have when you don't know somebody. Exactly. And I, I think it's really interesting because that sense of belonging is so important to us. I mean, they have now identified that when when we have that, we grow older, healthier. And the social connections are so important to us because they're they're ensuring longevity. And um, it, it's it's all linked to family and community and culture and place, you know. And and so if we have people living around us who go, I'm just here because during the week I'm not here anyway. So why should I bother talking to you? It changes things completely. Yeah, I mean, yeah, village life. It has definite positives. I mean, it also has costs, and one of those is the loss of privacy, possibly, and sense that your neighbours know too much about you. Um, but and I mean, I'm guilty of that. I, I've 
I was reflecting just as I was speaking with you that yesterday I started a half-hearted gardening blitz. <laughs> the garden sort of stuff that I can't be bothered chopping up at the moment. But I chopped down a whole lot of deciduous shrubs uh, along our fence, which they were going to lose their leaves anyway. But my 90-year-old neighbour popped his head over the fence and said, my God, what have you done? And it's, you know, maybe I could have gone around to see him and said, look, what do you think? I actually did it because before, in years gone by, he, 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 he suggested that there was not enough light getting into his property. So I thought I was doing him a favour. But um, yeah. it's that checking in process, right? Um, yeah. And that's, that's, again, that's what I like. And I think it's, it's really important that we start doing this. I, I lived in one apartment once where, where people moved in next door and they, were, they, were, had, they had a welcome, a housewarming party and the neighbors above hadn't even met them yet and they immediately called the police. On the other hand, I have my neighbors next door who every time they have a party, throw little notes into everybody's um, um, mailbox or come by personally and let us know that something is happening. Well, that happens three times a year, so everybody goes, just go for it, you know, have a wonderful time. But again, that sense of belonging comes when people people consider us and when they trust us or when we trust each other to communicate in such a way that we consider each other's well-being. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's interesting because, I mean, I'm not a handy person by any means. Um, my partner's certainly better than me, but... We live next. We've lived next door to some people that probably moved in ten years ago and have basically been renovating the living daylights out of their property pretty much every weekend, and it's driven us both insane. Wow! And it's um, I think COVID's for me increased the stress of that because uh, this place used to be a, a wonderful retreat where we'd come and experience peacefulness every weekend and get out of Melbourne and whatever. Mm. And now we're living here full time. But it's just interesting watching the home being created as this personal project where the externalities, the noise, the visual impact kind of, they're not, our neighbours don't seem to see the issues there. Mm. Uh, I was busy trying to establish my new business from the kitchen table while they had these guys in installing what turned out to be a gigantic solar array on their roof, which, I mean, it's great, but it actually is cantilevered so that it sits above the whole roof line. Um, and it's like I said to my friends, if I'd wanted to live next to Melbourne Airport, I would have moved there. It's like a gigantic... And it's, it's you know, the, the whole notion that maybe our visual impact of what they were doing might affect us in some way, um, that yeah. was never... Just, we didn't even know it was going to happen. Okay, so, um, so it sounds like your neighbourhood is changing quite rapidly and your sense of belonging is as well. Um, I know we don't have that issue right now and you, you mentioned that people are moving in and out. I remember, and it's, it's going to come, I don't know, when we start travelling again at some point, it's probably going to become an issue because it already is. Um, I remember when I went to Barcelona a few years ago and my friend and I rented an apartment in Barceloneta because that was close to where we wanted to be and we arrived and there were signs everywhere and the residents were, were campaigning against um, Airbnb being able to rent out apartments because people were in and out and in and out and were interrupting that sense of community and that sense of belonging because they just didn't want to have any part in what was going on. 
they didn't care about noise. They were having parties, and this was specifically for younger people. And this whole and this is this was a place in Bas, I don't know if you in Barceloneta, when you go to the to the to the um, community space or the the village square, the benches that are put up are all angled so that when you sit on one bench, there will be somebody who sits there has the opportunity to talk to you. So this is a very, very community-centered environment and Airbnb was interrupting that completely. It's really interesting because I've been exploring this notion of sense of place for quite a while and it's Mm -hmm. a blanket term that's used to sell everything from new housing estates, you know, to to existing real estate, to to, to travel. Um, And when we go to places mean something to us we're often visiting a place that has these strong visual cues about creating community yeah um and we in colonial countries you know we often fly thousands of miles to go and sit in a piazza in barcelona because that that gives us a really strong sense of vibrancy Uh, and we often don't for whatever reason we in colonial societies don't necessarily have right yeah, we don't necessarily build those places very well. Um, I had a South American friend living in Sydney once and she said, look, if Australia had to be colonised by anybody, I wish it had been the Spanish because they would have built good piazzas. <laughs> um, but the, you know, this sense of place thing is interesting because there is so much tied in with that term and I know that the research have attempted to unpack it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we talk about sense of place, you know, it could include notions of place attachment, this very strong emotional, often a subconscious sense of identity with the place, or it could be place dependence. Um, we, we live somewhere because we get the things we need from there mm. that we can't maybe get from somewhere else. But you can have a place dependence but also not be attached to it whatsoever. You can live somewhere grudgingly and resentfully because you have no other options. Yeah. You're caring for an elderly parent who still lives there, but you may have disconnected from that place a long time ago. Mm-hmm. You need to get out to live your own life, you know. Yeah. Um, so there are so many, um, so many conscious and unconscious things that go with that place identity. Like mm-hmm. I am this place, and I think yeah. indigenous perceptions or concepts of place are so much. I think in many ways very ri- much richer than Western concepts because. Mm-hmm. The notion of identity and belonging and um, reciprocity and um, stewardship is so built into those places and the cultural expectations that go with that. And I think in some ways, um, you know, the the Western industrial, car-based, placeless um, city or urban sprawl is the opposite of that. and what's happening with the COVID real estate boom in regional Victoria and regional Australia is people are discovering these villages and having this opportunity to not be commuting anymore, yeah. stuck on a freeway or in an overcrowded train. Um, people are realising that we don't necessarily need that um, urban dislocation anymore. But life being what it is full of paradoxes, now these places are getting so expensive that locals can't afford to live there anymore and there's a huge 
homeless problem amongst uh, women in their 50s. Like that's the most vulnerable age pocket now yeah. in Australia. Yeah. Um, nobody was expecting that except probably women themselves whose needs and aspirations weren't factored into the real estate system. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, when we talk about sense of place, I just think uh, I'm interested in seeing how we can actually unpack that and make some of the nuances more salient to people. Because yeah. I think this notion of belonging and identity and dependency and expectations, you know, like myself, um, moving here 11 years ago, I had a whole set of expectations about what life in a small country town would be like. Mm. And um, I hadn't factored in COVID or population explosion or mm. climate change or economic drivers, um, which, you know, are happening all around me that I have no control over. Uh, and the developers have their own expectations as well. And um, they have a very different um, drive set of drivers than I do. They're interested in selling product quickly that makes a lot of money. Um, and in the absence of strong legislation to protect sense of place and to promote belonging, uh, to make it a legislative requirement, we're very much at the mercy of a free market capitalism, which uh, takes no prisoners with this sort of stuff, you know? Yeah. So so the question is, do we need to dismantle the whole system to create a new sense of belonging and make belonging affordable for people again? Who knows? I mean, we can start a revolution here, Ian. <laughs> it's uh, been exploring legislation, state legislation and local government legislation. Um, in my town, we're currently, we're currently being hammered with proposals to build McDonald's and KFCs and Bunnings and big box retail and low-density urban sprawl, which all of which actually serve to destroy the very thing that makes the place desirable. Yeah. Um, and I went into this, the local government legislation plans for my area and looking at the state government. There are all these amazing terms about we want to promote sense of place, we want to limit urban sprawl, we want to promote ecologically sensitive development, we want to protect the urban, we want to protect the agricultural food bowl, we want to do this, we want to do that, but there's nothing that says we must do this. Mm. Um, And so it's all aspirational uh, and it all ends up like a house of cards. Mm. And I, I, I have found that quite shocking um at a, at a personal level but also to realize that if we're going to try to protect this sense of belonging we actually have to it has to be valued and it has to be built into what we decide we can and can't build you know well thankfully we've got you you're working on it <laughs> right yes you're putting a lot of energy and, and a lot of commitment into this so Thank you so much. If we could talk about this, we could talk about children and the impact on children, and we can talk about people who were nomads before, but they still had a sense of belonging because they walked in groups. There are so many different things we can talk about, but um, maybe we'll leave that for another time because um, I think this is a good place to stop. Thank you so sure. much. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, I look forward to hearing more about your, your work because you've been doing a really some really amazing work creating awareness around all of this. So thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Angela. It's very uh, kind of you. I'll see you next week. Bye-bye.
You've been listening to Hashtag 52 Needs with me, Angela Heise. These podcasts are not created to provide answers, but to invite you to explore your own needs and discover what works for you. Find out more about my coaching and emotional intelligence programs by following Into Possibilities on Instagram at AngelaHeise.com and at my YouTube channel. And I'd love it if you shared this podcast with your friends, work colleagues and family. And I'll see you next time.